Well, happy Labor Day, everybody. I'm glad you're here today, not only in the audience, but uh, online. We want to say a big hi and welcome to everybody. Glad you're here today. We're going to continue in our series on the heroes of the faith. Aren't you grateful that we, God has given us heroes that we can look up to and we can learn from? Heroes that are, are, are not, not perfect. They don't have it all together all the time, but they are men and women that we can follow after and we can learn from. And so we're in a year-long series, and we're, we're, almost, we're, almost, we're almost there. It's September, can you believe it? And we have started in January, January and we've gone all the way through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the heroes of the faith, and now we are uh, going to talk today. Uh, about a great hero by the name of Elijah. And uh, if you have your notes in your Bible, get your notes out and get your pen ready and get your, get your Bible ready. And uh, let's look at uh, Elijah, the hero that uh, we're going to learn from today and hopefully learn some lessons. Uh, in the top of your notes, you'll see uh, a quote by B.J. Neblet, and this is what, uh, this is what he says. We are the sum total of our experiences. Those experiences may be positive or negative, but they make us the person we are at any given point in time of our lives. And like a flowing river, those same experiences and those yet to come continue to influence and reshape the person we are and the person we become. None of us are the same as we were yesterday, nor will we be tomorrow. So, Elijah is going to teach us today and remind us that God shapes us by the cities or the towns that we visited and by the people that we encounter through our life. I'm going to, I'm going to take you through 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19, and I'm going to take you through five places that God took Elijah and five influences that impacted this prophet's life. And just like Elijah, God is going to bring you to places. God is going to bring you to cities. God is going to bring you to churches. And those experiences will shape you into the man or the woman that you are. How many know that God doesn't make mistakes? And he will bring people into your life, and he will bring you to cities, to churches, to locations, to shape you, to make you into the man or the woman of God that you are. I'm wearing on my left hand a, a, a beautiful diamond, a diamond ring. I like this. Tammy gave this to me a few years ago. I like it for a couple reasons. Um, number one, it's big enough to fit me, so I do like that. Uh, it's got five little diamonds, but I think when I look at that ring, it reminds me of my four kids and Tammy. These diamonds are shaped and created, and each side has been cut and shaped and influenced to make this diamond sparkle and make it beautiful. Without those cuttings, 
without the craftsman shaping and, and refining and cutting and, and polishing, this would just be a, a regular stone, but the diamond becomes beautiful because it, because it has been shaped into a masterpiece. Now, I wish I had a a bigger diamond ring to show you. Maybe that would get your attention a little bit more. If you have a big diamond you want to you want to give me for a few minutes, I'll I'll be happy to I'll be happy to share that. That diamond is beautiful, but it, it it's been shaped, and it's got different faces and different facades that make it beautiful. Now watch this. In your life, God will bring people into your life that are going to shape you. God will bring you to a church, and that church or that pastor or that leader is going to shape you. He'll bring you to another location. Another person will come into your life, and that person will shape you. Watch this. And you are a reflection. Now, hang on. We're, we're distracted, so we've got to pay attention here. You are shaped and you become the person you are by the people you've encountered and the places you've been. So God will bring you to a church, and you'll have a pastor, and that pastor will shape you, and he will make you, and he will refine you, and he will help you. But you may not be there forever. There may be a new pastor. There may be a new church. There may be a new leader that comes, and that leader, that pastor, that church, that city will make you, and you've got several facets that together make you into the person that you are. So accept as God's gift the cities that he brings you to and the people that he brings into your life because they are shaping you to be a beautiful diamond for God's glory. Now, in the case of Elisha, God used five different cities and five different influences to shape him into the man of God that God wanted him to be. And at the end of those experiences, Elijah was a prophet who heard from God and he recognized the small, still voice of the Holy Spirit. But that couldn't have happened if he would have rejected the cities and the places and the people that God brought into his life to make him into the man of God that he was. So we're going to go to 1 Kings. Follow along with me, if you will. 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to look at uh, the hero called Elisha. And if you're with me this morning, let me hear a big amen. How many believe that God wants to shape you and make you and polish you into a beautiful diamond for his glory? And that doesn't mean that it's always enjoyable. It doesn't mean that it's always fun. It doesn't mean that there's not friction and you wondering, God, why have you brought this person to my life? God, why am I going through this? God, why am I here? What's going on? God's shaping you. And he wants, to make you, he wants to make you into a beautiful diamond. But sometimes people resist, and they're not quite as beautiful because they have resisted the work of the Holy Spirit that God wants to do in our lives. Don't reject the people or the influences or the places that God brings you because they're making you into the person that you are.
So let's look at Elisha, and we're going to go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. Elisha's name means God is Jehovah, or God is strong. I love this definition. It also means God is my strength. Oh, I like that. God is my strength. So watch this. I've got five easels up here, and you've been paying more attention to the easels than you have to me, but that's okay. Uh, 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 these easels are going to represent five cities and five influences that had an impact on Elisha's life. Through every season, through every city, through every encounter, God was reminding Elisha through his name that God was his strength. So when he was at this place, God was his strength. When God moved him to another city, God was his strength. When God brought people into his life, God is my strength. And all through his life, Elijah was reminded by the meaning of his name that God is my strength. I like that. Now, in just a few moments, I'm going to talk to you about how Elijah confronted 450 prophets of Baal. How would you like to go against 450 enemies? He was able to do that. Why? Because God was his strength. See, God was using those prophets to shape Elisha. And Elisha could not have, Elijah could not have faced those prophets if he was depending in his own strength and ability. He was able to face the 450 prophets of Baal because God was his strength. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who and where is your strength? Is it in your job? L let me know how that goes for you. Is it in the stock market? Well, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. How's that, how's that working out for you? Is it in the government? Is it in our denomination? Is it in our church leadership? No. We're going to become the people that God wants us to be when we come to the realization that our president, our mayor, our governor, our pastor, our boss does not define who we are. God is my strength. And I'm going to trust in him. I may not like the places that he takes me. I may not like the people that he puts in my life. But God is my strength. And you're here today at Pine Castle, not only in the sanctuary, but you're watching online today, and God wants to remind all of us today that he's our strength. Our hope is in him. How many know we got a lot of things going on in this nation these days? you got Afghanistan, you've got COVID, you've got the border, and we can get really distracted, but we need to be reminded today that in spite of what's going on in our nation and in our world, God is my strength. Let's say that together. God is my strength. So watch this. Doesn't matter what city he brings you. Doesn't matter what influences he brings in your life. God's my strength. God's my strength. My hope is in him. And Elijah is going to teach us a beautiful lesson today that doesn't matter what we encounter in life, if you are founded in the belief that God is your strength, you will get through it. You will survive. 
and you will be a beautiful diamond for his glory. All right, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. It's there in your notes, and, and we're going to start with um, the, the lesson that Elijah is going to teach us. And the title is Lessons We Learn from the Places We've Been and the People We've Met. So let's go to number one, and let's go to uh, lesson number one. And here's the first city, and I hope I'm doing this right, but we'll find out in a second if I'm not doing it right. I think that's it. Or was it Gilead? Gilead is the first city that God used to start shaping Elijah into the man of God that he wanted him to be. Gilead, that word there means testimony. Everyone say testimony. Testimony. Watch this. God is going to give you a testimony, a story of how he redeemed you and saved you and called you and gave you purpose. It was in Gilead that, that God started the ministry of Elisha, and Gilead means testimony. And watch this. You're never going to have a testimony until you have passed the test. Oh, I like that. The test. You passing the test gives you a testimony. And there's a lot of people that want to have a testimony, but they're not willing to pass the test. How many of you have ever have a, had a test in life and life has tested you? About three of you. We don't like tests, do we? I hate tests. When I was a kid in school, I hated tests. But you can't have a testimony without passing the test. And the first test that God gave Elijah, and here it is in your notes, and here it is. He said to Elijah, number one, Elijah, the first lesson I want you to learn in Gilead is, I want you to be wise and calculated with your words. Now, what does that mean? God orchestrated an opportunity for Elijah to go to King Ahab. And can you imagine all of the details that it took to get to the king? He went through the secretary. He went through the security guards. He went through the checkpoints. He went through the identification process. And Elijah finally in Gilead goes to King Ahab, and he gave King Ahab a word. And it's in your notes. Let's read it together in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elisha the Tishbite in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will never be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now watch this. One lesson that Elijah learned and we need to learn today is that we need to be very calculated and wise with our words. Elijah only spoke what he heard God tell him. And he went to the king, and his words were simple. His words were sharp. 
His words were specific, and if Elijah was alive today, he would tell you people and us at Pine Castle, be very wise and calculated with your words. How many know that words matter? And words can bring life, the Bible says, or words can bring death. And one of the lessons that Elijah learned was, I've got to be very calculated and wise with my words. I love this. Words are free, but it's how you use them that will cost you. And Elijah learned the lesson that he has to be very wise and calculated with his words. Now, let's, let's bring this home just for a few moments. You know, sometimes I think... that we need to speak a lot to make an impact. And Elijah taught us in Gilead that you need to be very wise and calculated with your words and wait for the right moment to speak the right message. You know, the Bible says all of us in James should be quick to listen and slow to what? Slow to speak. You know that your words are like a tube of toothpaste. Once you, once you, once you speak them, it's like squeezing that toothpaste. You're never going to be able to get it back in the tube. And your words are the same way. And one of the life lessons that Elijah would teach us today is be very wise and calculated with your words. And it would be better for all of us to hesitate and wait instead of speaking without thinking. I think there's people in your life and my life that they don't think a hoot about what they're getting ready to say. And they just say it. Go on Facebook, check it out. Go on the internet and see if I'm not right. People just uh, feel like they can just say anything at any time, at any moment, and they're not wise and they're not calculated. And the Bible says in Proverbs that your words are like fine gold. And if I were you, in your relationship with your husband, in your relationship with your grandkids, in your relationship with your boss, be very wise and calculated with your words. Let me ask you a question. If you, like Elijah, got a chance to go speak to the king, what would you say? If you had the chance this week to go meet with President Biden, what would you say to him? That was a bad illustration, I think. <laughs> Some of you would probably have volumes to say. But would you be like Elijah and be seasoned enough to know what to say and when to shut up? God orchestrated Elijah to go to the king, and the only thing that Elijah said to him was, it's not going to rain on the earth until I say so. Thank you very much. It's been good to meet you. And he left. See, some of us don't have that capacity to do that because we think that many words equals much wisdom. And I would encourage you, like Elijah, to only say what God is telling you to say 
nothing less and nothing more. Are y'all with me? Now, you know I'm not mad at you, but I'm just trying to help you. Many words does not mean much wisdom. And if you're dealing with employees, if you're dealing with your grandkids, if you're dealing with your boss or your neighbors or your in-laws or your outlaws, you've got to make sure that you are wise in the words that you speak. Write this down. I think you're going to like this. The wrong word at the wrong time equals disaster. The right word at the wrong time equals resistance. The wrong word at the wrong time is a mistake. But the right word at the right time is a miracle. Hmm. Have you had enough of disaster and resistance and mistakes? If you're tired of those results, wait for the right word at the right time, and you will see a miracle. Are you all with me this morning? Thank you, sir. Elijah would say to us, be wise with your words and wait for the right moment at the right time. And when you do that, you'll get a miracle. I think we need less disasters, less resistance, less mistakes, and more miracles. And you're going to get a miracle when you wait for the right word at the right time. And all God's people said, Amen. Lesson number two, and we're going to go to a different city now because God begins to move Elijah from Gilead and he moves him now to Corinth. Here's the second lesson that Elijah would say to us and it's found there in your notes. You can follow along. Point number two, this is a lesson that Elijah would teach us and here it is. Obedience precedes provision. Everybody say obedience. Obedience precedes provision. We'll look in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2 through 6. Elijah leaves the company of Ahab, and the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of Jordan, and you will drink from the brook that I have directed, and the ravens will supply you with food there. Now, this is the second thing that Elijah would say to us church, he would say, obedience precedes provision. And he learned that in the city of Corinth. That word there, Corinth, means to cut. Watch this. God said to Ahab, thank you very, I mean, God said to Elijah, thank you very much for speaking to the king. Now I want you to go to the river and watch this. I'm going to make sure that you are provided for and I'm going to make the ravens feed you. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would get excited if God told you to do that? I want you to leave the palace. I want you to leave the presence of Ahab, and I want you to go to Crith, and it's going to be there that I'm going to provide for you. And by the way, birds are going to bring you food every day. It's kind of like internet shopping on your app. You just Get on your phone and Amazon brings you food or Publix brings you food. 
How many know that's a little crazy? You want me to go sit in a new city and you're going to have birds bring me food? You see, Elijah needed to learn the lesson that obedience precedes provision. Could it be that God is waiting for you? Are you all with me this morning? Could it be that God is waiting for you to obey first before you see the provision? See, God's looking for men and women who are obedient. And Elijah would say to us today, church, just be obedient. I know you want to stay in the palace. I know you want to stay with the king, but I'm I'm shaping you. I'm making you. I'm bringing you into a new place, and King Ahab shaped you, but now I'm going to have the ravens shape you. And all I'm asking you to do is simply obey. And when you and I obey, most times provision comes after your obedience. And the Bible says that Elijah went to Corinth, watch this, and he was able to cut out his dependency on anybody and everybody except for the birds that fed him. God is waiting for you to obey, and when you obey, provision will follow. How many of you believe that? A few years ago when I was working at the food bank that, that, that we started back in 2001, you know that this month is the 20-year anniversary. 20 years ago, we started what we thought was going to be a small little food pantry, and now it's one of the largest direct service charities in the state of Florida. Millions of people have been through that, those doors. It's been, been 20 years. Look in the newspaper this, this week. There's probably going to be a, an op-ed piece on this. But I remember uh, in, in 2011 when the NBA, that's the National Basketball Association, they, uh, uh, they locked out, they had a lockout with the players, and they closed all the stadiums. Now, you know, we are home to the Orlando what? Magic. Good. And when they shut down, there was 1,500 employees that were out of work. The people who parked your cars, the people who brought you popcorn, the people who checked your tickets, instantly, watch this, 1,500 people lost their job. And when I heard that, I did what some people would say is pretty stupid. I would argue with you and I would say I was just being obedient. We contacted the media and we said, every employee that has lost their job due to the NBA lockout, we are going to give you Thanksgiving meals, Christmas toys. We are going to provide for every single person that was locked out because of the NBA lockout. Now watch this. I didn't know how we were going to pay for it. I didn't have all the details figured out. I just knew that God wanted us as a charity to take care of people that had lost their jobs. You ever lost your job? The hopelessness, 
the despair, the fear that creeps in. And here we are, just as young little charity that made it, made it known throughout all of Central Florida. If you lost your job, we are going to take care of you. And I went into a staff meeting, and the first question they asked me, the board of directors and the staff, they said, how are we going to do it? And you know what my response was? I don't know. How do you think that went? I don't know. I just feel like we're a charity. We're supposed to take care of people. We're supposed to feed the hungry and help people give hope. So, so, so we're just going to do it. And they said, are you out of your mind? I can't believe you did this. And we stepped out in obedience and did something crazy. You know what happened about a week later, unrelated? We get a check from First Baptist Orlando for $50,000. Now, I can't prove this, but I think that that provision was waiting there. Are you all with me? That check was there. That provision was waiting to be activated, and it was activated out of obedience. When I obey, when you obey, provision follows. And if Elijah were here today, sitting down with you, talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, he would tell you, obey. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers. It can be a little fuzzy. It can be a little gray. I want you to operate in faith, and when you obey, I will provide. When you step out of the palace and you find yourself now in Corinth, I will make sure, my God, that I'll feed you with ravens when you obey. And I'm telling you, in your life, provision is waiting for you to obey. Are y'all with me this morning? I know this is Labor Day, but Elijah would say to us, oh, church, obey. Church, don't wait for all the I's to be dotted and the T's to be crossed and everything finalized. I know you're Methodist. I know you love to have methods. <laughs> but I'm going to bypass your methods. If you'll simply obey, as crazy as it sounds, I'll get the birds of the air to feed you if you will simply obey. How many believe that God wants us to obey? I love this. You're not going to be able to write this down. I'll send it to you by email this week. Spiritual maturity isn't measured by how high you jump in worship, but how straight you walk in obedience. I'm going to say that again. Spiritual maturity is not measured by how high you jump in worship, but how straight you walk in obedience. And I would have a question for you today, and Elijah would ask you the same thing. Is there something in your life that you're not obeying God? Is there an area in your life that you're holding back? Is there something you need to do? And if you'll simply do it, most times, provision will always precede obedience.
Learn to obey. Number three, how many are still with me? I'm only going to give you one more. I've got five because it's Labor Day. I'm going to take it easy on you, and, and we're just going to do three, and I'll do two, to, two next week. How's that? So number one, the first lesson that Elijah would teach to us, us is, is be wise with your words. Number two, he would show us that obedience precedes provision. And then number three, I love this. He would say to us in lesson number three, little is much when you trust God, much is little when you trust yourself. Mm. Little is much when you trust God, and much is little when you trust yourself. Let's go to the third city that Elijah was brought to. And he was brought to Zarephath. The word there means to refine. Watch this. God says, I'm going to bring you to the king, Ahab. He's going to shape you and make you. I'm going to bring you to the Kareth where you are going to be shaped and you're going to be molded and you're not going to stay there forever because now I'm going to bring you to Zarephath. And that word there means to refine. Watch this. This is when Elijah met a widow woman with a son. And all she had was a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And as crazy as this sounds, Elisha spoke to the widow woman and she said this, I'm getting ready to bake my last cake before we die. This is all we have. And I'm getting ready to go into the kitchen right now. I'm going to get that microwave going, and I'm going to cook me a cake, and it's going to be our last meal before we die. And Elisha at Zarephath spoke to that woman and said to her, if you will make me a cake, if you'll make me peanut butter cookies. That was a little subtle commercial there, church. If you'll make me a cake and take the little oil that you have and the little flour that you have, I'll make sure that for the next three years you will never go without. I like that. He challenged the widow woman. You see, Elijah would say to us today, Pine Castle, he would say to us, much, little is much when you trust God and much is little when you trust yourself. My question to you today is, if you had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, do you trust yourself more than trusting God? See, what little you have, if you learn to place that into the hands of a big God, he can make much out of little. But if you trust yourself, if you trust in your own intelligence and your own experience and your own abilities, you'll take much and you'll make it into little. And one of the lessons that Elijah would teach us today as our hero is that you've got to put your trust in God and in God alone. 
when you take the little that you have and you put it in the hands of a mighty God, he's able to stretch it and make it better. You know what? That's what I love about tithing, giving. And this church is a generous, generous church. You've learned this principle. You know this principle. In fact, I've got a dollar here in, in my pocket. And what I love about tithing is it gives you the opportunity to put your trust in God every single week, every single month. See, when you take this dollar and you tithe and you take off 10%, you take this 10% and you give it to God. You bring it, watch this, to the altar. You surrender that 10% and you're able to keep the 90%, and you and I can do more on 90% trusting God than we can ever do in our own ability with 100%. Are y'all with me? And Elijah didn't say that to her, but he did. He said to her, the widow woman, in a hopeless situation, and he's saying it to you today, watching online and in the audience today, put your trust in God. And if you've got a little oil and a little flour, you surrender that to me, and I'll take that little, and I'll make it into much. But when you hang on to everything, and you withhold what is rightfully God's, you'll have 100% but it will end up turning into little because your faith and your hope is in yourself and not God. Every week, every month, when you give and you tithe, you are reminding yourself, God, I'm going to give this to you cheerfully, and you get to bless the 90 that I get to keep. Can I get an amen? I was in Tuxla, Mexico. Bruce, if you'll go to the keyboard just for a moment. I was in uh, Tuxla, Mexico with, with, a, with a legend by the name of Larry Myers. Larry Myers was uh, 60 years old, and this is especially uh, meaningful to me because I'm getting ready to turn 60. And his denomination, the Assemblies of God, told Larry that he was too old to be a missionary. Guess what Larry did? He said, really? Too old? Well, I'll just obey God and do what God tells me to do. And he went and and he has built literally thousands of churches in Mexico. I'm not exaggerating. For $5,000, you can send that gift to him. And he will go and he will lay the foundation. He'll get all the materials arrived. And then you show up and you'll put the roof on. And then you get to dedicate the church. And for $5,000, church after church after church after church after church. I know. I helped him build about 25 of them. I went there many times. And I would see it. It was amazing. You'd show up. There'd be a concrete slab. You'd bring a team with you. And in two days, you'd put the walls up and the roof and on Sunday, you dedicate it, and it will be filled to capacity. It was up in the mountains, really high. It's the only church I've ever seen this where they didn't have windows like us. They just had, it was open. 
we were so high up in the middle of church service, I'd be preaching, and a cloud would come through the church, like through the church. There goes a cloud, getting ready to rain. I mean, I've never seen that before. Aren't you glad we have windows here today? I remember seeing something powerful. One Sunday, I was there. It was time for the offering. I've never seen this before, never seen it since. I'm sitting right there getting ready to preach, and it was time for the offering. And an old farmer, pair of old rugged jeans, pair of boots, had a hat on. It was time for the offering. And he came down the center of that church with a bag of corn. He came to the altar, and he laid that bag of corn down. And I leaned over to Larry, and I said, what is going on? He says, Scott, he's a farmer, and this is the proceeds of his work this week. And that bag of corn is more than just a bag of corn. That's his tithe. That's his gift. That is him saying to God, God, I don't have much, but what I do have, I'm tempted to hang on to it and, and be in control of all of it because I work for this. But, I, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself because if I keep everything that I make, I'm going to lose it. Much will become little if I'm in control. But that farmer humbly just came down the center of that pew and just knelt down in worship and placed that bag of corn as a beautiful sacrifice to God. And what that farmer was doing was the same thing that widow woman was doing. I'm going to give you, God, a little flour. I'm going to give you a little oil because I know that my little in your hands is much. That's what Elijah would say to us today. Your 10%, your bag of corn, your flour and oil in the hands of a mighty God is much. And if you try to hang on to what you have and withhold and try to figure out this economy and try to figure out your retirement and try to figure out your 401k and try to figure out your savings and your investments. You could lose it all. I would rather have 90% with a tithe, a bag of corn, a little bit of oil and wheat and have God bless my little, with his blessing and his protection over what I give him and what I get to keep. Are y'all with me? See, he learned that in Zarephath. He learned the principle of giving, to refine. That means to cut back. It means to be wise. It means to weekly or monthly put your trust in God and say, God, I trust you. I only got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I've only got 10%. It's not much, God. I've only got a bag of corn, but God is able to take much out of our little. That's what Elijah would say to us today. And you can see now, watch this. He was shaped in the presence of the king. 
He knew to be wise with his words. He knew that he only had a few minutes and he can't say everything, but he waited for the right time and the right word, and he was shaped by King Ahab in Gilead. He learned that he had to live a life of obedience and go to Corinth and allow God to, to, to provide for him as he obeyed. Now watch this. The momentum is starting to build. Can you sense it? Now God brings him to Zarephath, and he learns from a widow woman that you've got to be trusting God completely. Watch this. He's getting ready to face the biggest battle of his life. Next week at 10.30 here at Pine Castle United Methodist Church. <laughs> Stay tuned. He's got 450 prophets of Baal waiting on him. He's got a wicked woman by the name of Jezebel waiting on him. Hmm. And he would not have the capacity to face those opposing voices and forces if it wasn't for what he learned through the king, through the ravens, through the widow woman. Those experiences... Those people, watch this. Are you crazy? You're going up against 450 prophets. Do you know what they can do to you? And it was only him and God against 450 prophets. But because of his faithfulness and what he learned in the past, that gave him the capacity to face the prophets of Baal, it gave him the ability to face the voice of Jezebel. And even in his weakness, even when the Bible says he was suicidal and wanted to die, watch this. The next step after that was him hearing the small, still whisper of the Holy Spirit. Boy, Elijah could teach us an awful lot. And I pray that we would embrace our experiences. Embrace the people that God brings into our life. Embrace the influences that God brings in our life to make us into that beautiful diamond ring that shines for his glory. What a hero. What a hero. Now, I wish I could share more with you, but I'm, it's Labor Day. I'm going to not labor so much, and I'm going to keep the next two points for next week, and we'll revisit this. Would you stand up across the auditorium just for a moment? How many glad you came today on Labor Day? Yeah. All right, watch this. Be careful what you say. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Obey God even when it's crazy because when you obey, provision will follow. Trust in God. Take what little you have and put it in the hands of God and God can take your little and make it into much.
And if you learn those three lessons, watch this, you'll be able to face any opposition that comes your way. Why? Because God is my strength. Now this week, you're going to have the opportunity to practice every single one of these things. And I hope as you do, that you like Elijah will, will, will have it said of you, God is my strength. God, you're my stronghold. I trust you and I believe in you. Would you bow your hearts with me and let's pray together. Father, thank you for Elijah. Thank you for his testimony. Thank you, God, that he was faithful. Thank you that he was bold. Thank you that he was sensitive and he was wise. And Lord, I pray for your people today that as they go out into this crazy world, with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of things going on. God, raise up Elijahs in these days who are shaped into your beautiful image to glorify you and so you would get the glory. God, help us to trust you. Help us to obey. Help us to be wise with our words. And God, may you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God give you the wisdom to know when to speak. May he give you the obedience to follow him. And may he give you the trust to completely surrender to his will and his way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next week at 1030. Go and sin no more. We'll see you. Bless you.